0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. I wanted to start with something a little bit funny today. So uh, I've got a joke here for you. Now, what do you get if someone is as agnostic and insomniac and dyslexic? That's right. Somebody who stays up all night and wonders if there's a dog. All right. Anyway, some of you will catch that later. Uh, Yesterday I told my assistant, Matt, you know, he was in the back. I said, I got this joke I want to tell. And, and uh, I told it to him. He just looked at me and like, that is not funny, you know. And I said, you'll catch it after a while. About five minutes later, he's in his office next door. And all of a sudden I hear, ha, 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 ha. So some of you on the way home, you will get it. All right. So I want to start out here with a little bit of group participation today. All right. Now, I'm going to name a company, all right. And you're going to tell me what the product is of that company, all right. Rolex, wow. Ford, wow. Jeff, yeah. Starbucks, yeah. John Deere, yeah. Church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well you, get, you get the point. You're like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what it. What what is what is the product? What is what is the answer to that question? All right. Now, Jesus gave us the answer, of course. He, he said to go and make disciples, disciples of all nations. Now, the, the, the real answer is, yeah, what is the church supposed to produce? The church is supposed to produce disciples. You know, we've been talking about the pillars that this church is built on. And uh, today, next week, now, particularly today, next week, and in the, literally in the, the weeks that are coming, we're going to be talking about things that make disciples disciples right how do you make a disciple just because somebody believes the basic doctrines of the church does not make them a disciple right and we were we were talking here about about resurrection life church and trying to really simplify what is it that we do what do we do here as a church How would you describe our church? And and we've come up with with a four-word answer. How many know anybody can remember four words? Save souls, make disciples. Save souls, make disciples. I don't think it can get simpler than that. And really, it's all about making disciples, but you've got to get somebody to save before you can make them a disciple. Save souls, make disciples. So today I want to talk to you about something you cannot be a disciple of Jesus without. Right? And I want to talk to you about the Word of God. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what he was saying was this, that physically, your physical body can can survive on just bread. But you will never survive spiritually without the Word of God. You will, you will not grow spiritually. You will not be a disciple of Jesus without the Word of God. Paul said it like this in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. He said, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. Notice, he's saying that you're going to be built up spiritually, you're going to, you're going to become. More and more of a spiritual person, you're going to become a disciple of Jesus with the Word of God. Right? Now, Peter said it like this: He said, "As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby." You know, the Word of God is necessary for us to grow in our disciples, as disciples of Jesus. We're not going to do it without it. Now, here's one of the things that we see happening today in our culture, right? In, in Western culture, particularly here in the, in the United States, in Europe, well, people want to be spiritual, right? And they are looking for spiritual experiences. They're looking for spiritual things, right? But without, their, their mindset is this if it's spiritual, it's good, right? But let me just remind you that not everything that is spiritual is good, right? There is an evil malevolent, wicked spirit being called the devil. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion. Verse 9 says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, God speaks to Moses, appears to him out in the desert in this burning bush and says, Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt. My my children, the children of Israel, they've been slaves for 400 years and I'm sending you to bring deliverance. And God gives him some instructions. So when he gets to, to Egypt, he, he, ultimately he stands before Pharaoh. And he says, Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, listen, I don't know the Lord, and I'm not going to let anybody go. And God had said, here's a sign. When you stand in front of Pharaoh, take your rod, your shepherd's staff, and throw it down. And when you do, it will become a serpent. It will become a snake. Now, the New Testament says this. Now, as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt mind disapprove concerning the faith. So when Moses throws down his rod, Pharaoh calls over the magicians, Jannes and Jambres. And they throw down their rods. And their rods become snakes. Now, I want to ask you a simple question. When Moses threw down his rod, was that supernatural? When Jannes and Janese threw down their rods, was that supernatural? When Jannies and Jambres threw down their rods, was that God? No, it was not. It was demonic. And there is a tremendous danger in thinking that everything that is supernatural is from God because it's not. Now, this is a beautiful story because the Bible says that when they did that, then Moses snake went over and ate their snakes and then Moses went down and picked it up and it became the rod of God again and really it's a picture of Jesus Jesus is represented by that rod he became sin he ate your sin and my sin died was buried God reached down and picked him up and he became again the son of the living God It's a beautiful picture of Jesus taking your sin in my sin. But what I want you to grab right here is that not everything that is spiritual is good. And not every idea you have is right. 2 Corinthians 4 4 says that the God of this world or the God of this age. Now speaking of God with a small g and it's speaking about the devil. It says that he's blinded the eyes of those who do not believe the gospel. Right? And in, in Ephesians, it says it like this in the sixth chapter, for we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. Now, you might think your mother-in-law or your boss is your problem, but the Bible says they're not. He says your, your enemy is not a person of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, Satan, demon spirits, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule the world. And against a huge number of wicked, spirit, of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So the Bible tells us as a result in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says to prove or test all things and to hold fast to that which is good. So how do we prove? How do we test something? Right? Well, the way that we do it is with the word of God. In Isaiah 8, in verse 20, it says, To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. So the Bible is saying, your measuring rod for what is truth is the Bible. Your measuring rod for what you should do. Where do you get your direction? You get it from the word of God. Jesus said, your word is truth. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that it says all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, or it's God-breathed. Right? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. I need to underline and circle that apart again. That's the part that I get the most from the Bible. And for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to every good work. And I want to remind you again that as Christians... We tend to focus on what God took us out of. When we talk to what is, what is a Christians, most people say something like this. Well, Christians are people that are forgiven. And that's true. Right? But that's what God took us out of. Right? God didn't just take us out of something. He took us to something. Right? And what he took us to is more important than what he took us out of. The Bible says in Hebrews that he took away the first to establish the second. Right? Now, he brought us out of something, but he brought us to something. All right? He brought us to the kingdom of God. He took us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And he took us out of Hebrews 6, said, t- talking about what he took us out of, it calls it dead works. Right? He took us out of dead works, and he's taking us into, it says, that we may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Right? He took us out of dead works into what? Good works, into good works. You see, God didn't just save you so you could sit around, right? He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And of course, we pray. We pray the, the, the Lord's Prayer, right? Which says, "All right, Your kingdom come. Your will be on." Earth as it is in heaven. As a believer, you and I are to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God. It literally uses that word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that we're ambassadors for Christ. When you show up, the kingdom of God shows up. All right. But that, that correction part that's, that's the part, that's the part that I get all the time. I, there's almost not a day. In in 1 Corinthians 10, it says it like this. Now, all of these things happen to us. For examples, all right? Now, all these things that happen to people in the Old Testament, the Israelites and Moses and David and all that stuff, the Bible says they're examples for us, right? And they're written for our admonition on whom the ends of the world have come. Now, how many of you know we're the ones at the end of the world? So these are written for us. And as Christians, don't be one of those Christians that just read the New Testament. You need the whole Bible. You need the whole Bible. But it says they're written for our admonition. The Greek word there means to slap your face. All right? And every, I mean this, and I'm serious, almost every day the Bible slaps me. It slaps you. It slaps you upside the head and says, look, tell Jeannie you're sorry. Oh, again, you know. I mean, it's going to to instruct us. It's going to correct us, all right? Um, So you, you need to get slapped a few good times every week. Right? And remember, you're never going to grow to be a true, effective disciple of Jesus without the Word of God. You need it? I need it. Jeremiah said this: "Your words were found, I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart." Right? Your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. That's what it'll become. It's our life, right It comes alive. The Bible says the Word of God, it is alive and it is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. You eat it, it becomes your meat, it becomes your bread, it's your friend, you cling to it, it comforts you in the night. You meditate on it, you cherish it. Jesus said not one symbol of the Bible will pass away, all right, and its power is supernatural, it saves, it heals, it delivers, it protects, it empowers those that believe in it. And Isaiah said it this way. He said, and you'll hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Right? When, you're, when you're at bed at night, it's going to be going through your mind. When you get up and you come before a situation, that word is going to speak to you and say, this is the way. Walk in it. But that happens when you get it down in your heart. Now, it's in Romans 10, 17, where it says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know, you can pray and pray for faith, but faith doesn't come by praying. It it comes by hearing the word of God, by getting that word down on the inside of us. Now, listen, there are two things that you will never receive from God. You will never receive what you're ignorant of or what you're ashamed of. The part of your Bible that you're ashamed of, you'll never receive. And the part that God has for you but you are ignorant of, you'll never receive. That's why Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And really, God gave us the Bible. Once want you to think about this. For two purposes. He gave us the Bible to change the way that we think and also to change the way that we talk. Think about that. To change the way we think to change the way that we talk. In Isaiah 59, it says, God says, This is my covenant with them, my spirit who I put in them, and my words which I put in your mouth. They shall not depart out of your mouth, nor out of the mouth of your descendants, nor out of the mouth of your descendants' descendants from this time forth and for evermore. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Romans 10, 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Isaiah 57, I create the fruit of the lips. Second Corinthians 4, 13 says, but since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. You see, God wants to change the way that you talk. He wants you to talk in agreement with him. Right? And I'm going just remind you, every time you disagree, you're wrong. You're just wrong. You say, I don't believe that. It's tough. You're still wrong. You're still wrong. And the other way, reason God gave us the Bible was to change how we think. Right? Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Literally go through a metamorphosis like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly through the renewing of your mind or the, by changing the way you think. James chapter 1 verse 21 says to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So it says the way you receive God's word is like a a, a guy who's got an apple tree and he's going to engraft a new branch. And he goes out there and he cuts an opening and he removes part of that branch or part of that tree. See when, when you read the word of God and you say I'm doing this but the Bible says this you got to cut what you were doing out. And then you put the truth in. You put the truth in. You engraft it. And the Bible says you receive with meekness the engrafted word. Why do you need to be meek? And by the way, being meek is the opposite of being proud. When you're proud and God says something and you say something else, you go, well, tough it, God. I believe I'm right. But when you're meek, you say, God, I realize you're right and I'm wrong. David said this in Psalms 128. He said, God, I consider your precepts, your word, to be right about all things. And I hate every false way. Now, he's saying, God, you're right about everything. You're right when you tell me to tell Jeannie, I'm sorry. You're right about marriage. You're about about raising kids. You're, you're, you're right about what sin is. Right. You're, you're, you're right about forgiveness. You're, you're, you're right about how to be a good employer, how to be a good employee. You are right about everything. Right? And we just need to realize God is right. His word is truth. It's truth. Now, some people just say, well, I just don't have time. I just wish I had time. You don't have time not to be in your Bible. Seriously. You don't have time not to. And first of all, Uh, today. All you need to do is get an app on your phone, for goodness sake. Just get an app. And when you get in your car, instead of listening to the radio, just put Bible. Hit the Bible. You do that, you'll probably listen to the whole Bible two or three times in a year. All right? but, But the Bible says this, Proverbs 3, let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, I just want to take one of those things that it says. It says length of days. Then it mentions years of life. So when it says length of days, it's not talking about how long you live. It's talking about God will bless your day so you will get more done in your day. Right? When you take time to be in the Word of God, God will bless your day. And you won't get less. I don't have time. No, you, you, you take the time to be in God's Word. God will order your day so that you get more done in your day, right? uh, I believe every one of us, every day, need to be in the Bible. Every day, I've been saved 42 years, and there is not one day in 42 years that I did not get in the word of God. Why? Because I know I need it. You say, why? Because I'm bad and I need to get corrected a lot. All right? Psalms 119, verse 105. "Your word is a lamp to my feet a light to my path. All right? So it's a lamp. It, 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 we were in Israel a couple years ago, a year, last year, last year, last year, last year. We were here in Israel last year. Right? And we bought some, some, some of these copies of these ancient oil lamps. And then we lost electricity on December 24 and didn't get it back for like 48 hours. So we had an electricity-less Christmas. So we got out our lamps, right? These are olive oil lamps. And instead of using it for cooking, we took the olive oil, we put it in the lamps, all right? We're running around in our house with olive oil lamps, all right? Now, let me tell you about an olive oil lamp. They work really well, but they don't put out a whole lot of light, right? That thing you can see right in front of you, great, right? But they are not airplane landing lights, right? They do not show you what is way down the road, right? And God's word will be a light to your path. Literally, like Isaiah said, you'll be coming up on on a crossroads and the word of God will speak to you and say, this is the way. Walk in it. Now, what we want is we want airplane landing lights. We want God to show us what's going to happen five years from now. You say, why doesn't he do that? He doesn't do that because he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you and I to constantly trust him. So he just keeps on showing us one step at a time. One step at a time. And and when I've seen people so often get in trouble is when instead of letting that thing be a lamp to their feet, the Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. They try to jump. They try to jump way ahead. They get in trouble. But yet you stay connected to God. Let God lead you and guide you, and it will work out awesome every single day time. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Reinhard Bonnke said this in his book, Hell Empty, Heaven Full. The Bible is a handbook for life, dealing with every imaginable area of mortal existence. It contains useful guidance for warriors, for widows, for the weak, and for the wealthy. It has wisdom to say, actions to recommend, and comfort to impart. Again, to the law, into the testimony. If they don't speak according to this word, it's because there's no light, there's no truth in them. God is right about everything. And this right here is truth. This is our measuring rod. This is a reliable authority. But here's some unreliable authorities that so often we're turning to, right? Culture. Everybody's doing it. It's popular. Everybody, everybody does it. Pastor, it is the 21st century, and that is so archaic. All right? This is truth. This is truth. All right? And because everybody's doing it, does not make it right. All right? Doesn't make it right. Tradition. We've always done it that way. That's what we've just always done. It. You know what? Tradition is great, but if your tradition, goes contrary to the Word of God, you need to throw out your tradition and go with the Word of God, no matter who it separates you from or identifies you with. The next one, unreliable, is reason. Well, it just seems logical. It just seems logical. How many of you know there's a lot of truths that don't seem logical? You know, literally for millenniums, people said, well, the world is flat. It just seems logical. It seems logical, but it wasn't true. And the same is true spiritually. Jesus just said it so very, very often. He said, given, it, it'll be given to you. Well, the exact opposite seems to be the truth. Right? Jesus said, when somebody slaps you on one cheek, slap them back. No, he didn't. It seems logical. Right? He, he said, turn the other cheek. All right? So just reason, logic is not a safe guide. And here's the one that gets the most people in trouble. Well, it just feels right. You know? Well, it just feels right. You know, my wife doesn't take care of me, but, but man, that girl at work, she, it just feels right. Let me just tell you where you're going. You're going the wrong way. Right? Culture, tradition, reason, emotion. How many emotions come and emotions go? Right? Your emotions are not a safe guide. And something is true, not because you believe it's true, not because you feel like it's true, not because it's logical, not because everybody's doing it, right? Something is true because God says it's true. And something's wrong because God says it's wrong, regardless of how you or I feel about it. Listen, he is the judge. On judgment day, You are not going to stand before culture. You're going to stand before God. And he said, this is truth. Right? In Proverbs 30 and verse 5, every word of God is flawless. It's flawless. 2 Timothy 3, 16, Living Bible. The whole Bible was given by inspiration from God. And it is useful to teach us what is true. To make us realize what's wrong in our lives to straighten us out, and to help us do what's right. Satan's number one goal is to steal God's word from your heart. That is the number one thing that he wants to do. In Mark 4, Jesus gives this parable of the sower. He says the sower goes out and he sows the the, the seed of the kingdom, kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom. And he said there's some of it, it falls by the wayside or by the path. And then he interprets it and he says, That word that falls by the path, by the wayside. He said they're the ones that hear the word. And Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to steal that word. In fact, the Bible tells us again in in Mark 4, it says that tribulation, persecution, problems, they arise for the word's sake. You know, when you hear the word of God, the devil will try to steal it. He'll try to come and steal that word. You know, you hear that God wants your marriage to be a little bit of heaven on earth. And how is he going to try to steal that? He's going to try to bring some problems your way. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. God makes this beautiful garden, puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and gives them one rule. One. There is one rule in the whole world. right? There's millions of trees. But God says, look, there is one tree in the middle of the garden, and don't eat of that tree. You eat of that tree, you're going to die. Satan comes and said, has God said that you can eat of all the trees of the garden? Well, she said, except one. And in the day we eat of that, we eat of that tree, we're going to die. And the devil said, you won't die. Why, you eat of that tree, you're going to be like God. They were already like God. They had one commandment, one word from God. Don't do this. And what does the devil try to steal? That one word. That one word that God had placed them to give them parameters, that one word. Satan will always try to come and steal that word out of our hearts. Because he knows how precious that word is. Jesus said, you live by that word. Peter said, you'll grow spiritually by that word. Paul said, that word is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? And, and please, nobody moving unless it's absolutely necessary. You, know, you may believe all the great truths of the Bible, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that at Calvary he shed his blood and he paid for your sins, that he was buried, that he arose, that he's coming again. You believe he can save you. You believe he can deliver you. You can believe he can forgive you. But yet, you're not living for him. You're away from God. You need to be delivered. You need to be forgiven. You need to be saved. You need to be right with God. You've been living your life based on traditions, what everybody's always done, on culture, what everybody's doing, on your emotions, but what feels right, and by logic, by what seems right. But today, I want to challenge you to live your life by truth, by the Word of God, to receive what He has for you, to receive Jesus' sacrifice, that His blood paid for your sin, and that He is going to save you, and He's going to deliver you, and He's going to forgive you. Now, if you need to come back to God today, or you need to get right with God, in just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, please lift your hand. You say, what's going to happen? We're going to pray together, and God is going to meet you right here in this place. And we'll say amen, and when we say amen, you're going to be forgiven. Your past is going to be gone. You're going to take the first step to become a true disciple of Jesus. And you're saying, God, I'm not going to live by tradition or culture or by emotions or by reason. I'm going to live my life by your word. I'm going to live my life to please Jesus. So as you lift your hand, the first thing that you're saying today is this. You're saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus today to be forgiven and to be saved. One. You lift your hand. Again, you're saying, God, I'm going to live my life not by what feels right or seems right or what everybody thinks is right or what's always been done, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. And I'm going to live my life by the truth of the word of God. True. Get ready. Get ready to lift that hand. Literally, hands are starting to go up already. You lift that hand. You're saying, God, today, I'm going to receive Jesus into my heart. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. Make me a new person on the inside, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. Three. Lift it up right now. Lift it up. Say, pray with me. Thank you. I'll see, one, two, three. 4, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Up in the balcony. Pray with me, Pastor. I'm not where I should be. I want to get right. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? Listen up. Say, include me, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you. Way in the back. Thank you. God bless you. Three, four hands right over here. Right. Now, would everybody please stand up? But if you lifted your hand, look right at me. All right? Here's what we need you to do: grab your coat, your Bible, the purse, the person that you came with. And please move to the aisle that's nearest you. Come right down here. And we are gonna pray. God is gonna meet you right here. When we say amen in just a moment, your past, it is gonna be gone. You're gonna be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. He's going to make you a brand new person on the inside. Give him a hand as they're coming. If you're up in the balcony, please make your way down. You come, we'll wait. Come on down from the balcony. Awesome, awesome. Come right down. Now, Jesus said, you confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven we're getting ready to have a party in heaven. Jesus said that when this one person repents, he said, the angels in heaven, they are rejoicing, right? Now, Romans 10, verse 13, 42 years ago, I was right where you are, right? I prayed this prayer, and my life has never been the same, and this is why, because God cannot lie. This is what the verse says. It says, whosoever the devil tries to tell you you've done too much, you've been gone too long, you've gone too far. It's a lie. This works for anybody. This works for whosoever. Right? We'll call on the name of the Lord. Now we're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. Right? And here's God's promise. Right? We'll be saved. When we say amen, you are going to be saved. You are going to be forgiven. God's going to come into your heart. He's going to make you a brand new person on the inside, right? You say, but I, what if I don't feel like it? Doesn't matter. It's not based on what you feel. It is based on what God has promised you. All right. Then making it from the balcony. Come right down. Thank you for coming. Awesome. All right. Now, would everybody please just take one hand, put it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. And everybody, pray this out loud. If you're up here, make these words your own, right from your heart. You Say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Today, I surrender to him. And I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer, that you blood washed me from my sin, that my past is gone, that you make me a new person, a part of your family, on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Most important decision you're ever going to make. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.